I may have been about 15 years old when I was at youth group at Crossgate UMC where I grew up and we were getting ready to play a game and I was helping set up with the youth pastor. And I remember vividly him looking at me and he said, hey, you know, last week you weren't here. And I said, yeah, I know. I'm sorry. Kind of like y'all do sometimes when the preacher comes to visit you. I know I got to get back into church and I'm not trying to guilt anybody. I just want to check in on y'all, but I felt guilty that day. And so I was like, I'm so sorry. I know I missed, right? And he said, well, no, no, I wasn't trying to guilt you. He said, I just want to let you know that when we were discussing the ministry of all believers, I said, yeah. He said, the question came up from one of the youth. Who do you think in the youth group is going to be most likely to go into ministry? And we all voted that it would be you. And I remember very vividly my response to him. Nope, you got the wrong guy. My dad is a United Methodist pastor. I know what goes into being a minister. Nope, I'm going to do anything but that. And I remember kind of retreating from that calling, if you will, hiding myself because I wanted to do anything else. And then I remember, as I kind of kept going through life, God kept putting these things in my heart and in my, in my, in my way that would go, you need to go back. You need to listen. And I remember kind of engaging with this, the youth group at my church, and I became fast friends with the new youth pastor. And he asked me, after a few months, to chaperone a mission trip to Memphis. And as we were there, I remember we had come in from the day's work and we were just kind of fellowshipping with one another and, and my phone rang. And it was John Moore who was my pastor at the time and when John calls, you kind of get inquisitive so I answered the phone. He said, hey, I got a job for you. And I was like, oh no. He said, yeah, I've already talked with them, but I've got a youth ministry position for you. They're ready to hire you. All you've got to do is answer the phone. I said, John, what if I don't want to do youth ministry? He said, I said what I said. I'll talk to you later. And he hung up the phone. And I walked back into the large group room where we were all kind of eating and fellowshipping with one another. And my friend Corey Truitt, who was the youth pastor, pulled me to the side and he said, what just happened? I said, what do you mean? He said, you look like you've been punched in the gut. What just happened? I said, and I told him the whole conversation. And he, we sat there and talked about it for a minute, about why it was that I was doubting this calling, what it was that I was wrestling with, all of these things. And then Corey looked at me and says, so when they call, are you going to answer the phone? I said, I don't know. And then he just kind of looked at me and he says, hey, do you believe you're called? And I was like, I don't want to. And he said, that doesn't answer my question. Do you believe you're called? And I said, I do. And he said, then answer the phone. Be a man and answer the phone. And I don't know if it was out of spite just to prove him wrong that said that, you know, I bowed up and went, I can be a man, and I answered the phone. And 
That was 25 years ago, and as they say, the rest is kind of history. And I, and I share that because I think for many of us, we have found ourselves at a place in our lives at some point or another, if you're not there right now, of doubt, fear, concern when it comes to life or our faith, if we're honest. And in John chapter 20, we hear one of my favorite sections of Scripture. In all honesty, it's one of my favorite sections. And it begins in verse 19 where it says, On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews. Now, I just want to pause right there. Because too often we get caught up in this story and we say, Oh, doubting Thomas, he was the one that doubted. The disciples had it all figured out. This would point us to otherwise. The disciples have gone through seeing the man that they call Messiah and Lord and Rabbi arrested, persecuted, put to death. And where do they find themselves? Hiding in an upper room behind a locked door. And it says for fear of the Jews, but I would also say it's probably just out of sheer fear that everything that they've believed, everything they've devoted their lives to for the past few years, what if it was all wrong? This man, what, where is he? What's going to happen next? And they find themselves in this kind of season of discernment, if you will. What if? What do we do now? And their fear is of uncertainty of what may happen. And they did, as many of us, and as I did, they retreated. And they locked themselves behind the door of, I've got it figured out. I know what to do. I'll protect myself. It's all about me. And so they hid. And they locked the door. But the good news follows because it says, But Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone of their sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when this happened. And so the other disciples told him what had happened. We've encountered the Lord. And Thomas said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in this house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here in my hands. Reach your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. 
thanks be to God. So there's the disciples. Fearful, doubting, worrying. And Jesus appears to them and says, peace be with you. They have this this Jesus moment in the upper room. And then he breathes on them his Holy Spirit. A spirit of wisdom and power and understanding is what we hear. And then in walks Thomas. Poor Thomas. <laughs> I mean, I, I love the fact that it even in this text, it says Thomas, who was called the twin. I was like, Thomas was called the twin, and then he got called Doubting Thomas. He's never just been Thomas, has he? But in walks Thomas, and imagine this. Thomas walks in, 11 of his closest friends are all sitting there, and what do they say? Hey, guess what just happened? Revival broke out. Jesus was here with us. And what does Thomas say? You're right. That's not true. Really? Now, you can argue the fact, and this is another sermon for another day, You could argue the fact that Thomas isn't seeing the marks of this revival within the disciples because we also hear a week later, what are they doing? They're still hiding and they're still behind the locked doors. But Thomas simply says, I don't believe. Unless I can put my finger in his hands, unless I can put my hand in his side, I don't believe. And I just love this text because all that Thomas ultimately wants is the same experience that the disciples got. That sometimes we we put this negative connotation on Thomas. How could he doubt? How could he not believe? And I just want you to think about this for a minute. Just for a minute. If you're sitting in a room or you walk into a family reunion and all of a sudden somebody says, hey, you know that cousin of ours that passed away a few years back? He was just here. You're going to go, yeah, right. Just think about it for a minute. But what Thomas wants is the same experience that the disciples got. He wants to encounter the risen Lord. He says, until I experience it, I will not believe it. And I think this points us to something when it comes to our faith that we need to understand. That doubting Thomas could really be seeking Thomas. He's seeking an experience. He's seeking something new. Because notice in our text what happens. Thomas is still there a week later with the disciples. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. In your family, in your church, in your friend group, you start talking about the risen Lord Jesus Christ. If somebody was to tell you, I don't know that I'd necessarily buy into that or agree with that. I'm going to need to investigate a little bit more. What do we do? Too often, we just shut the door, we lock it, and we go, nope, we're going to stay right here. Where where our faith doesn't get questioned or called on the carpet, 
where we don't have to wrestle with stuff. But notice what the disciples do. They welcome him in. They welcome him in, and a week later, he's still there with them. Even though he still does not believe what they're saying, he's walking with them. He's journeying with them. They didn't shun him. They continued to welcome because he wanted to experience the same thing they had. Sometimes, most times, our faith is developed and strengthened when we see and feel for ourselves. When we encounter it for ourselves. And I I want to just take a moment and let you know that a lot of Christians, because I've been guilty of this myself, we take our story, our narrative, the thing that gave rise to our beliefs for granted. We pray, we go to church, we even read our scriptures. But when somebody asks us, why do we believe what we believe? Very rarely do we go into what we've actually experienced. You ever notice that? We go into, oh, well, if you, if, you're in, if you would have gone to seminary with me, it would be, well, in 1463, in the council of such and such, they state this. And I'm like, that's great. But in our modern day, when we say, well, why do you believe that Jesus Christ is risen? Well, mama said, daddy taught me. The preacher preached. That's great. That's wonderful. But then I would call into question, is it even your faith or is it your mama's faith? Your daddy's faith? Grandmama's faith? The preacher's faith? Have you really wrestled with what you believe? This is why I think so often we can become so defensive when the things of faith get called into question. Because we live in a world that questions everything. Can we just agree on that? Everything's up for debate. Whether it should be or not is up for debate even. But everything is up for debate. And so often, our faith is the one thing that we're not really willing to wrestle with, to talk about. I was told it. I believe it. Let's move on. How did we get to that point where all we do when our faith gets called into question, when we find ourselves in a season of doubt, all we do is recluse behind a locked door instead of welcoming it in and saying, let's wrestle with it. Do we not believe that Jesus is true? Because here's the thing. The one thing I am sure of in my life, I'm not sure of the fact that I'll be able to walk out this door and drive home after worship, but I am sure that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. And why? Because I've experienced His love and grace in my life. And you can try to change that, you can try to waver that, but guess what? Oh no, you're not going to because I've experienced it. And I know it to be true. But I'm willing to have a conversation with you. Why? Because I know that you're not going to convince me. But sometimes we cling to things so tightly that don't even really matter in the grand scheme of faith. 
We, we find ourselves developing a faith that has been proclaimed by, by preachers and, and teachers over the years, and we never really wrestle with what does that actually mean and how is that applied in our lives. So my challenge is that we don't look at doubt as the antithesis of fear. I'll be, I, I may be the only person that grew up in a church like this, but I grew up in a church where if you had doubts about your faith, you had to figure it out on your own because we weren't going to talk about that. We were just going to tell you what it was and you weren't willing to argue and you couldn't argue it or anything. We were just going to beat you over the head until you understood what we were saying. I may be the only person that grew up in that church. But then, I also recall sitting there one day and having a conversation with a friend and them going, why do you believe what you believe? Oh, well, my Sunday school teacher told me, okay, but why do you believe it? Why do you believe that Jesus is Lord? Why do you believe that Jesus is risen from the grave? Why do you believe that Jesus is your Messiah? And I think we have to wrestle with that. We can't just hide behind the door of Mama said, Daddy said. One of my favorite movies, and I'm not promoting the movie by any means, but one of my favorite movies growing up was The Water Boy. And he's sitting in class one day, and the teacher asks him, Why are alligators so angry? And the Water Boy raises his hand and he said, Mama says alligators angry because they got all them teeth and no toothbrush. To which the professor says, well, Mama's wrong again. And the water boy gets angry and then goes down and tackles his professor. It's a hilarious scene. But I also wonder how many of us do that with our faith. Why do you proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior? And then when people have facts or figures to kind of argue against you, and they, can, and they look at you and go, well, what if mama's wrong again? Instead of actually wrestling with that, we wrestle with the person that's saying it. For many of us, we have found ourselves hiding behind locked doors of our own opinions and thoughts or our own parents, our families' opinions or thoughts. There's this thing that I learned about in seminary, and some of you may have heard of it, but Albert Outler coined this phrase talking about John Wesley of how he understands his faith and how he developed his faith, and he called it the Wesleyan quadrilateral. And in that, he says that every person's faith is developed by four things. Scripture being the primary thing, tradition, reason, and experience. And sadly, I think some of us have stopped it too. Scripture says it, my tradition says it. I'm not going to worry about what it actually means because I just grew up knowing that that's what we do. That's what we say. We, we quote the Lord's Prayer. We quote the Apostles' Creed. Have we ever wrestled with what it actually means? One of my favorite questions I've ever gotten was from a 60-year-old lady that came to our church for the first time, and she looked at me, and she said, I cannot say that Apostles' Creed. And I said, why not? And she said, because it says, I believe in the Holy Spirit and the Holy Catholic Church. 
I'm not Catholic. And we were able to have a conversation as to what the, the Catholic in that means, which is the church universal, not necessarily the Roman Catholic church. But some folks would never even ask that question. They're just going to get up and utter it and move along. Here's my, my challenge for us. Is that at some point, if you have it, to be a Thomas. To call into question those things that you've been told and wrestle with it. It's okay. I promise you, it's okay to wrestle with it. Because I'll, be, I'll promise you, I'm confident that what you will come out on the other side with is a stronger faith than you went in with. Why? Because you'll know why you believe what you believe. And you're not regurgitating some creed or theologian that you read growing up. Scripture tells us to have an answer when people ask us for the reasoning behind our faith. So what is your answer for the reason? A little doubt is not a bad thing. A little doubt is not the antithesis of faith. But it can be the jumping off point to a deeper, more robust faith than you could ever imagine if you're willing to be honest and wrestle with it. Stop hiding behind our locked doors. Welcome it in. Walk with each other. That's the beauty of this text. The disciples walk with each other. They look at it and go, hey, I know you doubt. I know you doubt. And I know that we don't always agree, but guess what? We'll walk this road together until you have an experience. I'll keep walking this road with you. Because it's not fair for me to expect you to believe what I've experienced. But once you've experienced it, that's a whole different ballgame. So my challenge is that we become a people that are willing to walk with each other, even amidst our doubts, to wrestle with our faith, to trust that God will indeed strengthen it if we ask the questions instead of shying away from the questions, but to continue to grow and realize that we don't have God all figured out, but we can keep understanding him more and more day by day. Amen? Amen.